0: Of the month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus.
1: Without further ado, I'm going to welcome the phenomenal author of Powers of Two, finding the essence of innovation in creative pairs. Let me do that in a more uh, radio voice. I think Powers of Two. Find. No, that was too loud. Powers of Two. Please welcome Josh Wolfshank, author of Powers of Two, Finding the Essence of Innovation in Creative Pairs. Josh, welcome to the
0: program. Good to see you.
1: Um, Congratulations on winning your Employee of the Month award. Yes. (laughs) It's pretty heavy right now.
0: I'm excited.
1: It's weighing on you. Um, it will be sent to you in the mail, unfortunately, is, is what's going I happen. get
0: a plaque and a yeah. ribbon.
1: Yeah. No, just a plaque. I, didn't, I haven't done ribbons yet. Oh, you're uh-huh. upping the ante already. Oh. Uh-huh. I got the press packet for Powers of Two from your publisher, and it's Powers of Two, finding the essence of innovation and in creative pairs, and then there's just a picture of you. <laughs> so you're writing an author about, uh, you're writing an author, you're writing a book about creative partnerships alone.
0: This is one of the, th- the three or four questions I get most often and it's it's um there's it's a your a favorite si- question th- there's a simple answer and a, and a and a and a and a deeper answer the simple answer is that I did not write it alone the book is co-created by my editor Eamon Dolan and a big part of the in, of the project is to try to unpack partnerships around distinct roles which have distinct positions related to power and to credit. And there are appropriate ways that that distinct different roles are credited. I am the public partner in this work. It's I'm the author, my name's on the cover, I'm here sitting next to you. Eamon is offstage metaphorically, and if we were on a literal stage, he would be literally offstage. Um, And that is a very common dynamic, and one of the reasons that we don't appreciate partnerships is that we look on stage, we see Conan O'Brien in his chair, and we say, well, that's him, and that's the show, and the guy who's behind the camera we don't see by definition. And very often the offstage partner doesn't enjoy that kind of experience, doesn't want it, they're not temperamentally suited for it, and it's perfectly appropriate for them to, Um, to be quiet and to not be known by the public. It's only problematic when we then kind of go to study how these things that that we so love are made and we forget about that person when history leaves that person out of the story. It's totally fine that Theo van Gogh was not signing the canvas, but it's totally fucked up that he's not a part of the narrative of Vincent van Gogh as the co-creator of that work, which is a very provocative statement but I believe it's true and I defend it in the book I
1: yes you, you do talk about that dynamic and one of the other things I, I loved about your book was talking about how partnership doesn't take these sort of clear forms necessarily like each of the different because you highlight different you you know you highlight uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon and you, you highlight Vincent and um, Theo. Um, Van Gogh and uh, several different dynamics, but they're all cl- different, <laughs> meaning how they operate together. It doesn't mean that there's a singular way in which partnerships are ideally thrive. There's no formula to them.
0: Yeah, there's certain patterns, and I think the patterns are useful, and I think kind of the framework is useful. See, okay, you know, it, to help provide some guidelines and also to create a language, because this is something that's so amorphous and we're not used to talking about um, at the same time relationships take a life from the people in them and they're infinitely complicated and the book is organized around these stories and trying to appreciate the you know the true you know the grandeur and the pathos and the and, and all the things that happen between people because ultimately I'm af- I'm trying to enable this kind of story for people who are reading the book and for me writing it. And you know, one of the, I said that there was a simple answer to your question about, about doing it alone, which is that I didn't. But the more complex answer is that of course, being a writer does involve a lot of solitude. And one of the things that looking at pairs really draws us into is the movement between solitude and community. And one of the reasons a pair is a very special unit is that both those things um, are ever-present at any given moment, or can be. So you and I are here in this room. If I were to leave, you would be in your solitude and I would be in mine. And then when I return, we are back in a community. If there was even a third person in this room, if I left, I I would have left the group. And there's something about, I think the pair is... I argue in the book, and it's been shown over and over, is the primary creative unit. That's where the, the biggest things happen, even in the context of a group like Monty Python or like the circle uh, and of you psychoanalysis. That,
1: hold on, go back a second. You would say that pairs in, because that came up for me even with like, uh, when you're saying that there's a, p- a pair within Monty Python.
0: Yes, they broke off to do their work. In twos. Uh, in twos, okay. yes, primarily. There were six of them, and there were two dyads, and then I don't know about the other two. Um, the, you know, within the, there was a whole circle of people out of, you know, from which psychoanalysis emerged. And there were lots of, you know, it was a, it was, it was a movement. But it was Freud and Fleiss, or Fleiss, Wilhelm Fleiss.
1: Did he also invent the fleece?
0: He, they did not.
1: Oh, he would have done so well, though.
0: And nor did he copyright the term.
1: I know, which, but I mean, he would have had, you know.
0: I know. And he'd be remembered. And
1: to diversify markets like that.
0: But Freud... To
1: provide warmth emotionally and physically yes, is quite a feat.
0: There you go. We all need an emotional fleece. Will you be my emotional fleece? <laughs> I will
1: be your emotional fleece. I'm
0: feeling emotionally cold.
1: <laughs> but what I, I, I genuinely was pointing to, um, uh, just to, to direct your my question to you, because I don't think I articulated it well, is when you were talking about Paul and John Lennon, I noticed that like George didn't come up as often. And I wondered if George retold the story, how much he would put himself in there. And then if you looked at it from... Um, Paul's position, how much he would even acknowledge whether another person was involved. And I guess what I'm saying is, um, how the pair looks to themselves, is that ever different than how the pair actually is? Is that too metaphorical?
0: Well, let me try to answer, Yeah, l- too, let me too, tell oh, you sorry. what, let me say, that <laughs> let me, is
1: that too unclear is what let me
0: say what is coming up and tell me if this addresses your question. Like, if I'm arguing the pair is a primary creative unit, what's the deal with the group? And if I'm talking about Lennon and McCartney, isn't that a little silly, since they were in a rock band with four people and George Harrison said his favorite Beatle joke was, how many Beatles does it take to change a light bulb? Four. So that's true, and the Beatles were a unit of a great deal of integrity, meaning like that like they were a foursome and they were on stage together and they were in the studio together the my argument is that creativity happens in like a series of concentric circles, and you could start like way wide out. So like with the Beatles, you could start with like way wide out with like there was a whole world of 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 pop music at that time, and Jimi Hendrix and the Birds and uh, Paul Simon and a lot of things happening, and then there was a scene in London. And then there was the smaller scene that was like the Stones and the Beatles and the Who and like these guys who actually knew each other intimately. Then there was the circle that included, I'm sort of moving, you know, further in. There's the circle that included uh, George Martin, who was their producer, Jeff Emmerich, who was their engineer, Brian Epstein, who was their manager. There were a couple of of roadies who were always around them And, and the band, of course, And then there was the band, and then you get down to the smallest possible unit, and that was John and Paul. And their engineer, Jeff Emmerich, said, the artist was Lennon and McCartney. And that language, I think, is very provocative. The artist was Lennon and McCartney. Now, of course, you can then talk about John and talk about Paul, and you have to, but my point is that that dyad, if you get down to the heart of what activated that music it, it begins with that connection between them, and that alone, they were infinitely less potent than they were together.
1: Right, and I guess I was just curious. Well, what you know would George Harrison feel the same way? That yes,
0: he, George, I mean,
1: because I know that they—the majority of the songs were them—and and you so beautifully show how they. Um, had this healthy competition and really inspired each other essentially to create, you know, Strawberry Fields that leads to Penny's, Penny Lane. Right? And, um, but I... So would George Harrison look at this and say, that's right, it was them?
0: Well, I mean, he played a huge role and... But he also was very aware of being the younger brother to this kind of collective unit of older brothers and, you know, being the third guy and... Um, and being left out. And in fact, that was a, a big part of, of what changed at the end is that he got fed up with it and didn't, and, and, and was not satisfied any longer. And that disrupted things. Um, and. Um,
1: you mentioned patterns um, that you saw when studying these people. And I, and I wanted to end perhaps in your own experience as well, working in, in creative pairs. What are the patterns that you noticed?
0: Well, the book is organized around these six essential stages that I saw when I looked at all of these stories, and it begins with how people meet, and what are the characteristics of of partnerships, and then it moves to how people go from being two individuals to being a unit, and then it goes into uh, roles and and kind of the essential dynamics and the archetypal dynamics, and then the way that pairs negotiate distance, and how much time they have alone and how much time they have together, and then conflict, competition, power I struggles. Loved,
1: uh, co-opetition. I think you called it. Yes. Can and you the, d- define what that is for people?
0: Sure. Coopetition is just, it's a portmanteau of competition and cooperation, and it's actually a big, uh, it's a popular term in, in business writing, and it's a very common thing in business. It's like, Sony and RCA, who are competitors, uh, formed a joint research group to create the compact disc. So they, you know, competing car companies might put, you know, send engineers to kind of develop a a new engine. Um, But also like gas stations will like often be on the same block. It benefits them to be near a competitor. So they're both competing, trying to get business, but they're also benefiting each other because it's like, oh, well, that's where you get gas is that block. that That's where co is most used, but it is a huge presence in partnership. There's always some kind of competition, which on one extreme is like outright and like outwardly hostile. Um, and you can even have a kind of collaboration, an adversarial collaboration between people who are trying to beat each other. like. Magic Johnson and Larry Bird or like the hip-hop stars who are like jousting back and forth. Um, It also exists within partnerships like John and Paul. They're simultaneously booing each other, elevating each other and trying to outdo the other. And it also exists in relationships that are totally harmonious where no one has any consciousness of any hostility.
1: Like Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre.
0: Yeah, um, I just
1: needed to slip them in so that I could show so up French. Yes, but but um, but Sartre. they, they Sartre.
0: <laughs> wait. Are you speak? Do you speak of salt?
1: <laughs> but they seem to have had a, a very copacetic relationship.
0: So relationships. This was something that I puzzled over in the book. Like, what do I? Because I would ask everyone about competition, and many people said, "No, I don't feel that. I want the best for." him or her, he or she wants the best for me. And what I realized is that there is a subtle species of competition that maybe competition is not the right word for it, but the phrase that I use in the book is the emulous passion, which comes from William James. And it's this idea that someone else performs uh, at a high level and you are inspired or goaded to meet them, or match them, or even even top them—that doesn't necessarily mean that you want to put them down. But you're it draws something out of you to emulate them, the emulous passion, and then that will draw them back. And James was talking about this in a lecture to teachers, and he was like, you know, many of you probably have this idea that it, everyone, you know, that competition is somehow a dirty word in education and it ought not be. This is how we do when we are roused by the sight of another performing highly, this is this is this is at the heart of how we do well. And this, you know, in the culture that eliminates a conversation of of collaboration and kind of and creative exchange and creative work, this is one of the things that's really thrown out. The idea that these things can be helpful—that
1: competition can be helpful,
0: competition and 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 all kinds of oppositional energies, which is a part of supporting each other, right? It's
1: like, right. That the, that the ugly, the ugly feelings, actually, if if tapped into in the right way, fuel creativity. and, yes. and, and in many ways are you know probably an impetus.
0: Yes, and and. And if you if you really dwell on it, then eventually you have to question whether it's ugly at all. I mean, of course, yes, it is.
1: That, that you no longer even assign that. You would no longer assign that.
0: That's a point. high level, and I'm not at that level either. I mean, I'm you know, I feel jealousy, and I feel all kinds of petty things, and you know, it is petty, but I do try to notice that and say, okay, well, so what am I going to do with that? Like, clearly, the the higher impulse here is not that you know, my friend is denied. You know, her um, honor, you know, or her front page review in the New York Times book review or anything else that I'm jealous of. You can of. insert her
1: name here if you if you need to.
0: Well, um, <laughs> just that moment was thinking of my friend Jennifer Senior. We began these books together and her book was received magnificently and do her great credit. And I look at her and I say, "This is a great book called All Joy and No Fun about parenting. Yes. I look at her and I say, she is playing an A game. Like, that is where I want to be. And I... And I am. Uh, I may feel jealousy. I did feel jealousy at many great things that came to her. And then it's like, well, what do I do with that? I'm excited by it. And this is something that I I heard from partners that you know they see someone operating at a high level, and it's like I want to get there too. I' gonna pick it up. I I'm gonna you know the the switch back to the the example of Larry Bird and, and Magic Johnson. Larry Bird said. I would be out shooting practice shots and I'd be tired and ready to go home and I I'd, I'd shot five hundred practice shots. That's a lot. You're like, that's not enough. I bet magic is shooting eight hundred a day. That, you know, I'm gonna push myself, I'm gonna work harder, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take more risks. That's that's a huge that's a huge part sure. of our lives. That and, can and, be and an
1: incentive. I would Question though, when you have a partnership like you were sort of talking about with your editor, where one person receives the adulation and the other one doesn't, is that healthy? Meaning that if the one who's out in the world and gets all the awards for everything and gets the validation, and then the other one doesn't receive that, is that, the other partner, the silent partner, might really crave it. When we talk about Ma- Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, they are both um, Gunning for the same goal. <laughs> I mean, okay, and, so and the award, the rewards are are the same. What so do you do with a creative partnership where people have distinct roles and one of them garners a lot of um, accolades and one of them doesn't get anything?
0: So, number one, there are many different forms of partnerships, and in some, both people are in public, and in some, one is not. Um, the
1: like the a, way you're feeling about Jennifer Senior, she is a peer of yours, and yeah,
0: okay. I get the question. So, so uh, for, I first wanted to give the context to your listeners, some of whom may not read the book, that there are I'm talking about creative exchange, and there are many variations and manifestations. Um, the the question is really interesting, and in the, the because it reflects an idea that like the only appropriate credit is the kind of credit of uh, the exchange between the person on stage, literally or metaphorically, and this, like, wide adoring audience. That's not what it a lot of... could even
1: be a financial one.
0: That's, but a lot of people don't want that. A lot of people prefer... There is the, the kind of credit that comes when thousands of people or gazillions of people are looking at you and admiring you and your name is on a billboard or you're the, on the cover of Fast Company... Um, and there's the kind of credit that comes when someone looks you in the eye and says, thank you. A lot of people prefer the second kind of credit, and usually they are saner people who have better lives. Well,
1: that makes perfect
0: sense. And Eamon Dolan yeah. is very wa- well-known and, and, and deeply respected in publishing, and all of these hidden partners are known in their circle. It's not like it's a mystery. Like, if you go start talking to film people they know who the great cinematographers are those people are not uh, but but the the wider public doesn't know who they are and when the and when the histories are written that is that is this kind of second draft from the first draft of journalism very often it's it's squeezed down to such a point or even squeezed out entirely that it doesn't become a part of the narrative and, what and about- that is really problematic and there is the possibility of real resentment there like Ralph Abernathy was not Comfortable with the level of credit he received, especially when his partner Martin Luther King died, and the only guy who really understood what he could do was gone. And more than being gone, he was now a martyr, and you know, no one could compare to him, no one could be in the same breath as him. And Abernathy was left for decades. You know, what's mine? Where you know, and he's he's totally ignored and forgotten, he's not on the holiday he's not in the memorial when they did the the reminiscence of the march on washington he was barely he was barely mentioned and those guys were always together from the very beginning they conceived of the Montgomery bus boycott together abernathy was in the room when king was shot he they were sharing the room and one of the really problematic things is that because this stuff happens in a kind of intimate exchange to which a third person, let alone a journalist or historian is not is not privy, the records are often uh, impoverished and that gets in the way of our telling the stories.
1: And what about the financial disparities?
0: Well it varies I mean the one with me and Eamon, it's actually really interesting because you know, it kind of goes both ways. I mean, he gets a salary, and I'm working on an advance, and the structure of, of, of book advances, you know, I basically got paid when the work was totally done. Wow. Um, I mean, in a way, I'm, I was writing this book on spec, and he has an office and an assistant and a salary. Now, if this book sells, you know, um, 10 million copies, if every one of your listeners buys a copy
1: Powers of Two Finding the Essence of Innovation in Creative Pairs you would prefer that people buy it in bookstores and in Yes, ideally cover. at
0: an independent bookstore, <laughs> but I'll take Amazon if that's where you insist on buying it. I in this very unlikely event that this book is a, you know, monster bestseller, I will that will affect my bottom line and not Amons uh, in a direct way, but um it's it's different, but not but but not necessarily disparate. On the other hand, if you look at Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey, yes. one of them wrote the songs and is the songwriter of record, and the other one was a member of the band. An enormous disparity. I mean, just staggering, and it's kind of shocking when you most people look at it and say, "Oh, it's the Who," you know, and those guys each did different things, and and they and they're both critical. But every time a Who song is played on, a, on the radio or on a commercial or anywhere, Pete Townsend gets some of that money. And Daltrey gets none of it. None. He only gets paid when the band goes out. And so and
1: that's it, because he wasn't part of writing the song lyrics?
0: He was not. I mean, it gets, and it gets interesting and complicated. Like the Nirvana guys.
1: Well, no, stick with this one.
0: Well, this one... Uh, he, you know, was, so was
1: Townsend writing the song lyrics?
0: Townsend is the songwriter of record on virtually all of those songs. the the the, 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 the Then the question becomes, well, what does that really mean? And could he have written the songs without the other guys? One of the ways in which partnership and the ambiguities of partnership, it kind of, it's like everyone's, you know, sailing on this beautiful ship, but then it like smashes up on the rocks of like the legal framework and like these sort of like very narrow realities and that's often where partner partners run into big trouble.
1: It's But particularly in songwriting and I, I'm circling back to um, John and Paul and when I was bringing up George and I should have been bringing up Ringo and uh, in that uh, song... Ringo
0: out. You I wanna...
1: know. Not fair. <laughs> Come on. But the other reason I was going to bring it up is that is a song merely the lyrics or is it how it's sung when it's, com- you know, composed in full and... Um, So it is interesting that the credits go straight to the person who, of record, who wrote it of record. Yes. But the idea that that's, you know, if you were to say those words, do they suddenly have the same meaning um, as they do when they're together in this full composition? No.
0: Yeah, and some bands do um, credit the whole band. Hmm. Um, I think R.E.M., the songs are all by R.E.M., I think. Um, and that is one option that's available, and it's also I, 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 the Nirvana example is a case where there was a perception among the 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 other two, not Kurt, that it was a collaborative thing. And then when it when the songs became monster hits, they were surprised to see that they were all Kurt Cobain songs. Um, and these are questions that we all need to work out for ourselves and. And it does happen all the time. Everyone has to face this in one way or another. What I'm saying in the book is that there's... And the reason I wrote the book is that we have had very little training. We have very little support. We have very little context for these kinds of things that are so fundamental to our lives. For
1: what kinds of things and, that are and a so lot fundamental of, and,
0: to our lives? Well, like credit and... and, 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 and um and it, we feel kind of crazy when they come up, because it would be as though you're trying to have a love relationship in a culture that never talks about love relationships. It's hard enough to do it in a culture that does acknowledge it, where you do have love line and you do have Dan Savage and you do have you know your friends and you can, you, can, you can grind about it, but with creativity, you can
1: grind about it.: Yeah. What does that mean? Grind? I know what grinder is, but what do you mean? You can grind about it.
0: Grind is a term used. I, I'm, I I feel so comfortable with you, and you are such a grinder that I just slip that in, even though it's it's a term amongst uh, this group of friends, and it means the contra- There's some controversy among us in a very friendly and funny way about what it means. But my definition. Is that it means to be the essence of your neurotic self, to sort of chew over something and to what
1: um, grind your teeth over it?
0: To, to grind about it, to kind of to kind of uh, kind of wrestle with it, and kind of think about it it's in a, a really intense way. It's more
1: of an existential way. app than grinder.
0: If you think about two people, a couple of girlfriends, they're out late at night and they're talking about their boyfriends and they're waving their hands and they're that's Drinking a little you too much right now. They're grinding. They're we're, grinding we're about grinding it.
1: are grinding right now, but about... And some the people
0: functions. don't do that. They, would like, keep everything inside. But creative people need to know that everyone goes through this and this is a part of the deal. And one of the main things I want people to know and one of the main things ways in which this has changed my life is to know that when these questions arise, it's not a sign that the partnership is problematic. It's a sign that you are in a partnership and congratulations, like... That's your ticket to the dance. You can't do this alone, and doing it together with someone like brings up a lot of stuff. So a friend of mine who's a very talented you know, and accomplished writer was like, I, you know, we were talking about her and her writing partner, and she was like, I feel uncomfortable because he is talking about sketches that he wrote, and we wrote them together and she said i feel very uncomfortable because my you know clearly my ego is getting in the way here and like how do i have less of an ego about it my f- feeling was that the problem was not her ego the problem is that he's talking to other people but what he did that they need to have an agreement about what other people do and don't know about their process which is one of the things that you see in section 2 of the book every pair has to negotiate What's between them and what's private, and what's even holy between them, and what gets shared with the rest of the world.
1: In go- going forward now, after you wrote this book, would you rather work in collaborations? Since you're someone who's done stuff on his own and done stuff in collaboration, do you feel that you're more creative in a partnership versus on your own, or does it just depend on the project?
0: I think everything is um, everything is a kind of collaboration. That's the that if I'm and it's just a question of what form it takes so with Eamon you know it's a very uh, this book reflects the convergence of our interests in a a very direct way Um, it was my initial impulse of an idea but it really takes a form that works for him I'm asking a lot of the questions he is kind of holding a lot of the necessities of, like, the way those questions need to be investigated. Um, My next book, um, I hope to be a lot more literary and idiosyncratic and weird, but...
1: I don't think you can get any weirder, but, yeah. Really? No, I'm
0: kidding. Oh, it's going to be weirder. (laughs) What? I got excited for a second, so I was like, she thinks I'm weird. Like, that's the... (laughs) the, That's, like, the highest compliment. But I have a writer's group, and I have, you know... um, Friends who are doing the kind of thing I want to do. Which is? Well, it's to tell stories in a really voicey, emotional, um, like, narratively, like, overwhelming, but, like, emotionally really resonant way. That's my ambition for my next book. And I'm entirely dependent on... A variety of exchanges, which for writers can be very subtle. It's not like the person needs to be in a room with you. It's not you may not see the person for months at a time. It may be, um, you know, someone who is an occasional reader. Um, but I think that this is always happening in one way or another. I think it's totally universal. It's just it's not a question of whether we do it; it's a question of how we do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why Emily Dickinson is in the book as an example of someone. Who was enormously solitudinous and you know, literally did not leave her house, and yet through letters and through poems that she sent to people, she was enormously engaged with her ideal readers, and 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 needing that exchange and, and but those, and are, those are
1: relationships, but they're not necessarily partnerships.
0: Well, I think that. Whether you say partnership or collaboration, to me, that my, the term that I use is creative exchange. And there are many varieties of it. And it goes from, like, Andrew, Andrew, these performance artist pairs who are yeah. n- literally never in public a- apart from each other.
1: And they live together and they wear the same outfits. They
0: wear the same outfits. They don't own any clothes that are not the same.
1: But they do have distinct voices. They are distinct people if you, t- if you talk to them.
0: They are. Do you know those guys? Yeah. Yeah, big fans of Andrew. Andrew, that's one extreme. And, you know, I call them, that's like the Siamese twin model. And then there's the creative monks model of like Emily Dickinson and Thomas Wentworth Higginson. And in between, most people are in between.
1: Joshua Shank, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please um, go to employeeofthemonthshow.com to get tickets to live tapings. Subscribe on iTunes. And thank you to Ian Mazov for editing this together. And thank you to Lady for being a phenomenal um, marketing audience, test audience, or just creative partner.
0: A silent sleeping partner.